but Wednesday, Wednesday was a, a unique time. Uh, we preached it and talked about it, but, uh, you know, it, that was the, the ninth anniversary of my wife and I becoming pastor here at the Lighthouse. And I am always just honored and blessed by the trust that each one of you put in me and my family to lead and guide you. Uh, I haven't made anybody come to church. And uh, at this point that I know of, I haven't made anybody leave. I haven't told anybody to leave. So that means you're here because you want to be here. And I appreciate that. But it was June 2008, June the 22nd. And there was 25 people that were in this building. And I preached my very first Sunday night sermon as pastor of the Lighthouse. The first sermon I preached, now I would preached kind of as a trial, if you will, Sister Julie and others that were here, Sister Tracy, the, uh, Sister Amanda and, and those, I'm trying to look out and see uh, who, if, Sister uh, Allison, y'all were here, and um, I think maybe even Brother Ron Slotty were here. Uh, but I'd preached before just as a try, you know, kind of trying out, but I preached on June the 22nd, those were my first sermons, Sunday morning I preached on the name of Jesus, and Sunday night. I preached a bit more prophetic. And uh, I don't preach a ton of end time prophecy because I just, I don't know it. About the time I think I get it all figured out, Brother Cozart, it changes. The person I think is the Antichrist dies and then I'm kind of up creek without a paddle. So I've just decided I'm going to live my life and know he's coming soon. And whether Trump does it or Obama was going to do it or whether it's somebody completely else, I don't know. I know the world's going to end. I just don't know when. And, and while I can see things in place, kind of scares me when North Korea plays around with nuclear weapons. I don't like all that kind of stuff. And, and sure, I can say he's coming, but I've just not really been a lot on trying to tell you when and how and where it's all going to be. Because about the time I do, something's going to change. And uh, so, but, but I do believe in prophecy. We, we tend to think of prophecy in the terms of end time, but I look at prophecy different. I think of prophecy being, and especially when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy is the ability to see things as they should be or to see things as God sees them. It's very much what Sister Julie just sung about. It's seeing things from heaven's point of view. And uh, that gift of prophecy is given to the body of Christ according to, uh, I believe it's Corinthians, it's given to the body of Christ for edification. It's a positive thing. There are moments in which we must see what God sees and we see a wrong direction. But there's a, a positive method to trying to get someone back on track. But I stood in this pulpit nine years ago and I could see what God had shown me concerning this church. I could see uh, where, where God was going to be, but now these nine years later, I stand uh, here again. I'm amazed at God's timing. I'm amazed at how God brings us through every up and every down, every trial, and, and so it was. And, and, and back then and nine years ago, there was a small group here, but there was some other curious people that wanted to see the new pastor, and, and that's there, but now we've grown. And this is where we are today. And I'm blessed because of that. And I remember, and I'm always reminded around this time, I keep 
notes in my calendar and I can tell you in August there'll be a, uh, I think it's August 17th, that's the anniversary of my first sermon I ever preached and I've got those down. These moments cause me to reflect, Brother Chase, in my life and, and I kind of see where God has brought me from. I realize my calling and all of the direction. My wife and I spent four and a half years as youth pastors in Toledo, Ohio and while we were there and I've mentioned him many times, Brother Fred Kinsey was the pastor emeritus there. Brother Kinsey was an incredible man. Some of you may have seen a Facebook picture. It's been a couple months ago. I had a picture of, of an older man holding Zane on a kind of a lime green chair. That's Brother Kinsey. And uh, he pastored that church for some 30 years and then was the bishop and the pastor emeritus up until he passed away uh, in, in, I think, 2009 at, I believe, the age of 93. He saw that church in the 30 years that he was there. He saw that church go from 16 people to over 600. And he told me, and I remember he would sit in that, that lime green chair I had. He liked that chair. and He'd sit in my office when I was working and, and he would talk. And he would tell me that every year that he was pastor, for 30 years, he preached the same message at least once every year and that was the first message he had ever preached. And I, I was trying to pull it. I used to have it on, on tape and I don't know where I packed it. But the first message he ever preached to his congregation, he said every year I pulled it back out and I preached it. And that's been with me. And so I have preached the message I'm going to preach. As far as I can tell, if my record serves me correctly, I have preached it seven times or I will counting tonight, I've preached it seven times in the past nine years. I preached it for the first time June 22nd, 2008. And then again the next year, August the 2nd of 9. June the 26th in 2011. July the 31st in 2013. September the 16th in 2015. And now June the 25th in 2017. I will tell you, I, don't, I didn't really plan on preaching it in the odd numbered years. I just kind of don't think about it until that anniversary rolls around and it makes me think about it. I don't know what next year is going to hold. I do know next year is going to be an amazing year for the Lighthouse. Next year this church will celebrate 55 years of being a church and we're going to make plans. If you recall five years ago or four years, we, we did our 50th anniversary. We're going to have a big uh, weekend that we'll plan for that. It'll be my wife and I's 10 year anniversary. I don't know exactly what next year is going to hold. But I want to talk to you tonight and I want to preach that same message. And I know there's a danger in that because if you have any type of memory and you can remember the sermons, you're going to hear some of the same illustrations. It's because I've just decided I'm going to keep preaching it. I do try to change a few things to make it apt for what we're going through right now. But I believe God gave me that message back then and it holds true today. Nine years ago, I stood behind an old chipped wooden pulpit that was bigger than this and a whole lot heavier, not near as pretty. I stood on threadbare, dingy blue carpet with blue pews and blue plexiglass on the windows. And I hear that song about blue just going through it. But I preached about building bridges when you should be parting waters. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. Starting in verse 7, and I want to I get there. See, there's, there's some timeless truths in the Word of God that we always need to be reminded of. And as the church goes through a progression 
of, 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 of its growth and new people come in and, and, and the church, the, the look of the church changes a bit as we as some of us get older. Not Some of you, y'all don't get older. Y'all stay the same, but I'm getting older. And, and, and families grow and, and things happen. I want to be reminded that God can still part the waters. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 7, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to a view afar off, and they stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and hit the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they, those two went on dry land. And it came to pass as they went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha saw him no more. He took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces. And Elisha took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now every year that I preach this message, I've started with this illustration and I know it gets worn out, but bear with me please one more time as I set the tone for the rest of the sermon. It's the little boy that came home from Sunday school and mom and dad said, what did you learn today? And he said, well, you'll like this, Brother Harrison. Y'all are doing a, a whole series downstairs on Pharaoh and, and, and all of that. He said, what did you learn? He said, well, the little boy said, I, I learned that God sent Moses down to Egypt to get God's children. Moses went down there and brought all of the children of Israel out and they marched into the wilderness and they found themselves at the bank of the Red Sea. And there the, the mountains were on either side and Pharaoh's army was coming up behind him and Moses and his children, or, and the children of Israel, they were so scared. And so they got some engineers together and they designed a bridge and the contractors came and they, they built it up and they built this bridge and they dug the holes for the supports and they mixed the cements and the iron workers climbed up and they put all the iron frame up there and, and oh it was incredible and they laid the deck on that bridge and all three million Israelites walked across that bridge and they walked over and then all of Pharaoh and his army marched across and when they got halfway on the bridge it all fell down and they all drowned there in the Red Sea that's what I learned in Sunday school Dad was a bit confused and said, I, are you sure that's what you learned? Are you sure that's what your teacher was teaching? And the little boy looked at his dad and he said, Daddy, if you would have heard what they said happened, you'd have never believed it. I want to ask you today this simple question. Why is it so hard sometimes to believe that God can do the impossible? Why is it hard sometimes to believe that God can minister? In fact, let me take it a step further. I am firmly convinced the longer I live that there is, is two kinds of faith. There is a faith that says God can do it. I read in my Bible, God brought Lazarus back to life. I read in my Bible, he opened blind Bartimaeus' eyes. I read in my Bible, he unstopped deaf ears. And, and, and I've read that he provided financial miracles when, when the little widow was poor and couldn't afford her thing. And God let oil just keep pouring out until it filled every vessel. And one kind of faith says, I know God can because he's powerful. But there's a, another, maybe it's another progression of that faith, but there's another progression of that faith that says, not only do I believe God's word is true, not only do I, do I believe that all of those miracles happen, but I believe God is able to do them in my life. 
Because I've met people who, while they may not have said this exactly like this, I've met people who have said in, in one way, shape, or form, I believe God can heal me, I just don't think, I mean, I believe God can heal, I just don't think God can heal me. I've even met people who says, I know God's grace covers a multitude of sins, it just can't cover my sin. I've sinned, I've been too bad. Why is it so hard to believe that God can do the miraculous? And so I, I, I just want to be a church that doesn't exist on trying to build bridges, but instead a church that says when God wants, when God needs, when God can, if he wants to part the waters, I believe it can happen at the lighthouse. And so it is that, that I, I look back and, and I start thinking over this church and where God has brought us, I start thinking that old song, Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. And I'm going to praise his name. Each day he's still the same. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. Look what the Lord has done. Anybody else have that kind of thing going on in your life? Why don't we sing it one more time? Would you help me say, look what the Lord has done. Oh, look what the Lord has done. Say he healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Oh, and I'm going to praise his name. For each day he's done the same. Oh, say I'm going to praise him. Look what the Lord has done. See, there's something about reminiscing. It's okay to look back at where God has brought you from. The danger is if you want to go back there. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to the good old days. I don't want to go back to where God brought me from. But I am cognizant that I didn't get here by accident. This church did not get here by accident. You did not get here by accident. He brought you out, and he's brought this church a long way in some 54 years. The story of Elisha reminds me of, of and, and it helps me understand this church and how our mindset and attitude ought to be. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19 that Elijah began to leave Sinai and was walking to Damascus, and there on that journey he found a young man that was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's, that's 24 oxen. That's a powerful uh, team of oxen. And, and so he was really getting it done. It must have been a, a big portion of ground that this young man, Elisha, was plowing with. And the Bible records that interaction when as he walked by, he took off his, his mantle that represented his prophetic office and he tossed it over there and put it, the mantle of Elijah, he put it on that young man, Elisha. Elisha went home, kissed his mom and dad goodbye, told them we're going to go and, and then he, he followed Elijah. As far as I can tell, it was some seven or eight years that Elisha followed Elijah, and we don't know what happens. There's no recorded interaction between those two. The Bible just says he followed Elijah. There's no fanfare. There's no recognition. 
But listen to me, somebody that longs to be in the ministry, listen to me right now. If you have any desire for God to ever use you in some sort of a ministry, there is a, it is absolutely imperative that there is a time where you just simply follow the will of God and the call of God without trying to get behind a pulpit and quit trying to do this and that. You're just letting God mold you because there will be a day that God gives you the pulpit or God gives you the ability to do that. And for seven or eight years, Elijah and Elisha, Elisha simply followed. But all of a sudden, 2 Kings opens up. It's the beginning of where we started to read. And the Bible says it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal and Elijah told Elisha, why don't you wait here? For the Lord is sending me to Bethel And Elisha said, as long as the Lord liveth and my soul liveth, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. You're going to notice a series as we go forth, a series of places where we can get sidetracked off of the direction that God wants us to be. And so it was there that that Elijah told Elisha, said, why don't you stay here at Gilgal, somewhere God spoke to Elisha, I guess. Or Elijah rather, maybe both of them. Somewhere I think Elijah knew his time on earth was coming to an end. I don't know if he knew how it was going to all play out. Only two people recorded in the Bible ever left earth without dying and that was Enoch now Elijah. I think Elisha must have heard or, or got wind of that and knew something was about to change in that relationship and in that ministry. And so when Elijah told Elisha, stay here at Gilgal, Elisha said, not on your life, not even on my life. I'm not going to leave you. I want to be when God pours out his blessings. Gilgal means a rolling stone or a wheel. You know the old saying, a rolling stone gathers no moss. There's, this is kind of where some of us get, start, or get stopped, and that is we never get started. We just kind of spin our wheels. We make a lot of noise, make a lot of racket, but nothing ever happens. A lot of plans, a lot of talk, but nothing ever gets going. But I was studying that out and realized there was a deeper meaning to Gilgal. It's found in Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, it it tells about how the children of Israel, verse 10, encamped around Gilgal and they kept the Passover and they did eat. Now I want you to pay close attention to verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. See, just really quick, God had, had brought them over the Jordan River. They got over the Jordan River. This was before they went and knocked Jericho down. They get over to the Jordan River. They celebrate Passover. And right here in Joshua chapter 5, the Bible says very clearly that they ate their old corn that had been in with them in the wilderness. And, they, and manna was there one day after that Passover, and then it stopped. And the purpose was there comes a point in everybody's life where you cannot exist on the substance of the past. 
Now don't get me wrong, you know I love old songs, you know I love singing the old hymns, but if we're not careful, we romanticize the good old days and we start talking about the revivals of yesteryear and we start talking about how I got the Holy Ghost and what happened way back in the 70s or 60s or 50s or 80s or 90s and we get caught up and what happens is we never leave the wilderness. I've seen it in churches as well. If churches aren't careful, they exist on past uh, manna. They exist on miracles from the past. But I'm telling you right now as your pastor, I believe that there are miracles in the making right now. And I believe that there we don't need the manna of yesterday. We need what God has in a, in a, a land of Canaan. I want to eat the fruit of right now. I want to see the harvest right now. I want to let the old pass away and I want to walk forward from Gilgal and I want to enter into a promise that God has given I want the future to be better than my past and that's what has to happen and so Elisha said I don't want to stay in Gilgal I want something new I want something fresh so we go a little further. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3 that the sons of the prophets which were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto Elisha, Knowest thou that the Lord is going to take your master away from thy head today? And Elisha said, Yes, I know it. Now hold your peace. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, here in Bethel. For the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And Elisha said, As the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they came. Jericho. It's here that you're introduced to these sons of the prophets. For lack of a better word, just that's the Bible school, if you will, and nothing against them. Uh, but these were those that were training to be ministers. These were perhaps pastors or preachers or ministers. And I want you to see, I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to be one that stands on the outskirts looking in. And you'll understand that in a moment. So Bethel, it means the house of God. It's where God ministers. It's where we get our spiritual food. It's where our lives are changed. It's where people are healed. It's where people are filled. And it's where God begins to move in the services. But it's also the place where Elijah said, you know what, I love the moving of God in a church. I love the moving of God here. But I want something more. I don't want to just feel God inside a church building. I don't want to just touch the throne of God in a church building. I want to do it everywhere I can. And I'm not content to just come to church and sit on a pew. Elisha said, I'm not content just to come to church and check it off and tell Brother Sorrels, I'm here. I'm here, put me down. That way pastor knows I'm not content just to pay tithes. I'm not content just to clap my hands. There is more for me than just a church service. God has called every one of us beyond the church service. My ministry and your ministry must be outside the walls of these church on a daily basis. You meet more people outside the church than you will inside the church. Don't get stuck at the church. I'm glad you come. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you to go tell someone, pastor said I don't have to come to church anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But this ought not be the pinnacle of your Holy Ghost experience. That you sit on a nice purple padded pew 
there's something greater God has called you for that's going to help this church. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 5, we go a little bit further. Here's those sons of the prophets again. They're at Jericho, and they come to Elisha. Now we've gone from Gilgal to Bethel. Now we're through Jer- or in Jericho, and those, still those sons of the prophets come to him, and they tell Elisha, don't you know that God's going to take your master away today? Elijah, same thing. Yes, I know it, but I don't need to hear your voice. Hold your peace. I'm going to stick with him. I want to see what God has in store. And Elijah looked at him and said, Terry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave you. And they went on. Jericho, if you remember any sermon I've preached on this, you know Jericho meant a place of fragrance. Jericho was an incredible city. It was fenced. It was in the midst of a vast grove of palm trees there in the plains. It was a place of comfort. It was a place of of, of, of where, where, where you were kind of okay. You had everything you needed. It didn't require a lot of sacrifice. Elisha was being tested by Elijah. Stay here in this place of comfort. Stay here where all of your needs can be met. Stay here in your comfort zone. But Elisha said it best. I'm not content to be content. I want something more. I'm willing to move on. I'm willing to go. I, don't, I, I know it, it seems like a good place to be. And, I, and I, if, I'm not, if I'm not careful, this is where too many of us stop. Church is going okay. It's a comfortable church. It's a good church. I got friends here. The music is good. The preaching's good. At least when Brother Perryman preaches, it's good. Brother, Brother Buford preaches. I don't know about me. I'll, I'll uh, my wife will be gone or something, and she'll say, "How did you preach today?" I'm like, I don't know how I preached today. So y'all have to tell her if, if she's out of town when I'm preaching. Y'all let her know I did good. It makes me feel better. But but if we're not con- c- careful, we we we're content to be content. Those of you that were, maybe not as a child, but those of you that were saved later in life, remember that drive you had when God got a hold of you and changed you? And you weren't content just coming to church? Oh, you love coming to church, and you, you were able to jump and shout and worship, but you weren't content just to stay in church. There was something driving you. There was something pushing you. And then somehow through life, we kind of mellow out, and we get a little content, a little comfortable. But Elijah was telling Elisha it was a test. It was a training. Are you going to stay right here? And if you stay in a place of comfort, you're going to miss the chariot of fire. You're going to... Miss God coming down. And Elisha, her, his classic response was, I will be with you. Verse 7, 2 Kings chapter 2. For some reason, those 50 men of the sons of the prophets, they went and they stood in a view to far off. They didn't go. They, they had been there in Bethel. They had been right there in the middle of Jericho. But now those, those are staying off in a distance. And Elisha and Elijah stands by the Jordan River and Elijah takes off his mantle and he wraps it together and he hits the water. And those waters part. And Elijah and Elisha walk through on dry ground. That Jordan has always been a place of change. It's always been a place where there has to be something that dies out and something new is birthed. And Elisha and Elijah came to that critical place It's here that Elisha has to make a choice. Am I willing to cross over? 
Am I willing to leave the comfort and all of the things that I know behind and enter into a time of the unknown where I might not be able to figure it all out but wholly trust in the Lord of Elijah? Because when I cross over, it's going to be hard to go back. It's hard to stand there when a chariot of fire swoops down and picks up the guy you've been walking with the past seven or eight years. It's hard to see that and kind of stay unchanged. It's hard to get in the presence of the Almighty God. It's hard to get into the miraculous and then walk away and kind of forget that. And so Elijah or Elisha rather had to make a choice. Am I willing to go through it? Over there, there's something waiting for me. Over there, I don't know all and how it's going to be, but over there, God is going to meet me. It came to pass when they had gone over, verse 9, that Elijah said to Elisha, he said, you follow me all this way. What do you want me to do? What do you want from me? And Elisha could have asked anything in the world, but he thought, and he asked this incredible thing. He said, I pray, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I'm sure I'll, it's pro, this is probably in my notes later, but let me just stop right here. I like it that Jesus told his disciples, he said, greater things are you going to do than I did. There have been incredible pinnacles in the church. There have been incredible things, but can I tell you that Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 is not the greatest day in the church. Azusa Street. Cannot be the greatest day in the church. The day you got the Holy Ghost and whatever revival you might have been in cannot be the greatest day. If it is, then you don't have that Elijah, Elisha spirit. I want to say this and I'm going to say it publicly and I say it privately in my prayers. God, you know the ministers that I followed. You know the ministers that I look up to. And I want to do what they did. I realize it requires prayer and fasting and working for him. But God, I want to have a double portion of your spirit upon me. Why? Because this is the day that God needs to move greater than he ever has before. Can't always look back, and, and I realize I'm naming names that some of you may know, but these are giants of the faith in the apostolic United Pentecostal Church. I, we look back and we look at the Urshans, Brother Nathaniel and, and, and Brother Jonathan. We look at the Fred Kinseys, and we look at the Jim, uh, the, the Kilgores, and we look at the Cleveland Beckton's and others, and, and those are great men of God, but those cannot be the pinnacle of preaching and pastoring. Because there has to be a double portion that somebody craves in 2017. I want more. And this was the key. Elijah looked at Elisha and said, if you will stay with me. If you'll stay with me into the unknown. Then when it happens, it shall be yours. It came to pass, verse 11 of 2 Kings chapter 2, and they were still going on. They were talking, and I don't know what they were talking about. I wish I knew. And lo and behold, a chariot of fire appeared, and, a, and, and, and horses of fire, and it parted them asunder. And Elijah was sucked onto that chariot, and he began to go into the heavens, and he was uh, gone. The Bible says that Elisha saw him no more. He, he calls out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And there was no more. The heavens closed, and he took a hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. 
I know part of that renting was a form of mourning, so to speak. It was just kind of a way to say, my goodness, what happened? I don't even understand. Elijah's taken away by the chariot of fire. Elisha's there. There's the sons of the prophets off there on the corner, and they're seeing it all come to pass. And a decision was made. That mantle falls from heaven. Elisha goes and picks that mantle up. And the Bible says he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan River. You and I, we have this this moment in our lives right now. Doesn't matter if I preach this back in 2015. There's a lot of water that's crossed under that bridge. There are a lot of things that have happened in your life and in my life, in the life of this church and in the direction and destiny of this church. There's lots of things that have happened. My goodness, world is moving so fast that a couple months ago seems like a lifetime sometimes. We stand at that Jordan River. I stand there as a pastor and I stand there as an individual. You stand there the same. And you hold the 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 the, the presence, the mantle of God, so to speak, however you want to view it, you hold that and you have this decision. I know he's the God of Elijah. I saw what God can do. But can he be the God of me as well? If I, if I hit this water, I want that same thing that he did for Elijah, I want that water to part. I don't want that to be the good old days when you sit around the, the church and fellowships and, and you say, do you remember the good old, you remember when Elijah parted those waters? It's been a long time since waters have been parted. I don't know that we'll ever part those waters again, but man, that was a cool day. I was there. I want to get around some fellowship and I want to start talking. I want to say, do you remember what God did Sunday night? When God began to open up blinded eyes and God began to fill that one that wanted the Holy Ghost so bad they just walked to the front and they just closed their eyes and they repented of their sins and instantly God filled them with the gift of the Holy Ghost and someone says yes and do you remember I prayed for my family and God just miraculously did that. I'm asking is there any Elishas here that's willing to pick up the mantle and stand there at the Jordan River? He stands there. I wonder what's going to happen. When he picked up that mantle, did he feel any power? Was there any electricity that moved through it? I'm going to venture a guess and say no, because that's not how God works. God works when you put your faith into action. I'm sure old Elisha looked around and saw those 50 sons of the prophets up there and said, well, you know what's going to happen? What if I smack that water and nothing happens and they start making fun of me? I'd just like to tell you today that you cannot worry about those that are watching because what are they, they're missing everything that's happening. I'm not interested in the spectators. I'm interested in the participators. I'm interested in those that are willing to pick that old mantle out of the dusty ground, that old sweat-stained mantle of, of what God has done in the years past, the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm looking for someone that's willing to pick that old dusty mantle off of the ground and walk to a Jordan River and say, God, I'm ready for you to be the God of Elijah, and I want you to be the God of Elisha, and I need somebody to exercise their faith. He smacked that water and that river rolled back and the same power that was in Elijah was in Elisha 
just to remind him that I can do it. It's amazing when you look in the careers of Elijah and Elisha, regardless of whether you read it in the Kings or the Chronicles, each one record exactly double the amount of miracles for Elisha as Elijah, a double portion. Elisha's ministry lasted 13 years. Elijah's ministry lasted 25 years, almost twice as long. Those sons of the prophets didn't have that because they weren't watching, or rather they were watching when they should have had it. Perhaps it would be better to say those sons of the prophets, this is what they had. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. Hallelujah. Can I just tell you today, Sister Buford, if you'll begin to come, John said it, well actually Jesus, he recorded the words of John. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go into my Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. God is destining you and I to be water parters. Hosea said it, and it's that double portion that's promised. Hosea said that we shall know if we follow on to know the Lord is going forth as prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, the former and the latter rain unto the earth. Joel said it, and we preached this a few uh, uh, Sundays ago. He said he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the former and the latter rain in the first month, meaning that there's a double portion that God has an order for your church and for you as an individual. Zacharias said, ask of the Lord that rain in the time of the latter rain. Haggai said, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. James brought it together. He said, be patient, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband been waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You and I have a duty to do. And that is in 2017, this church needs to start believing in the double portion. Oh, it's easy to build bridges. I'm sure old... Elisha could have walked around to a place that he could have walked across. Or maybe he could have said, well, maybe I can get a boat and cross back and I'd never have to exercise that faith. Or I'll just build a bridge. I don't ever have to exercise that faith. You'd think the same result is there. I'm on the other side. But God's not interested in the programs. God's not interested in the ways around it. God wants to see a church that believes in the miraculous. I forget when it was. I, I have it here, but I, I, I forgot to write the date down. But Howard Schultz, the Starbucks CEO, a couple years ago closed every Starbucks store on February the 26th. He closed it for three hours because he had said that the product that the baristas were, play, were putting out was not the vision he had. And so he closed every Starbucks store on February the 26th. It was a couple years ago. For three hours to retrain uh, over 135,000 people. They did it via webcasting and all of that. And he retaught them the proper way to, to make all of that coffee and all the things to to. to, to create the perfect shot to steam the milk and all of that he said what happened was they got too busy trying to make a profit and they lost the product you know I mean if you've been to Starbucks and Starbucks isn't my favorite 
but, but if you've been to Starbucks, the line's usually halfway wrapped around the building. And they got too concerned with trying to just get people through that a barista would have like seven or eight different coffee drinks that they were making and it became an assembly line approach. I didn't see anybody complaining. Their stock kept rising, the money kept rising. But the owner said, "Mm -mm. it's just not the same. I've tasted all this assembly line stuff and it's lacking what it means when a barista has her hands or his hands and is working there and so if I'm not mistaken now the, uh, the, the rule is a barista cannot work on more than two drinks at one time so that they can make sure the product stays the same old Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 he had seen what, what was happening and he had seen what Philip had done and the miracles that were there and how unclean people, the demons were cast out and they were sick with palsy or lame and they were healed. And old Simon, he, he wanted to give money. He, he begged, he pleaded, how can I get this power? Because he wanted an assembly line approach to the things of God. But that wasn't what it was going to be. You can't pay your way into the miraculous power of God. It's something deeper than that. The seven sons of Sceviya. Acts 19, they thought they could do the same thing that the that that the, the 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 Peter and Paul and them were doing. And he said, I can I can just say that same mantra. I can call out in the name of Jesus and it'll sound the same, but it's not enough just to sound the same. I want the power that exists in Paul to be the power that exists in me. The power that was in Jesus Christ. I want it to now live in me. Would you stand today? Today I remind you, and that's really what this message is about. I'm reminding you today as I've done what appears to be the past every two years, and even, I mean on odd numbered years. I'm reminding you that if you want to be a part of a church that's able to take us to a whole nother dimension, there's a process we must go through. You're going to have to be willing to get past the the place of wandering Gilgal, the place where you, you, you're existing on the old, you're existing on the manna of yesteryears. You're going to have to get past that, that place. You're going to have to go to the house of God, Bethel, and you're going to have to learn there, but you've also got to be willing to take it outside these walls. can't be content just to stay in the church. You've got to be very careful that you are not seduced by the fragrance of Jericho and the ease of its comfortable lifestyle. You've got to be willing to get outside your comfort zone. You've got to be willing to walk through a Jordan River. Willing to let some things pass away and be ready for a breakthrough. You've got to be ready to put the old in its place and rise in newness of life. You've got to be willing to be ready when the mantle falls, that you can pick it up, continue the work that God has in store. And I believe this, this church right now here at the Lighthouse, I believe we are poised and ready to pick up the mantle that some, I believe I'm the seventh pastor, I think it's six pastors have blazed that before. Countless pastors and, 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 and people as far back as you want to go have blaze the path for an apostolic church I'm willing to pick up the mantle and carry it on another 50 years 
there'll be a day that, that I'll, I'll no longer pastor the church. I'll, hopefully I can get to a place where I can, I can turn it over to someone younger than I. But I want to make sure they have the same spirit because I want to look in 50 years. I'll just be 30. I'll, no, I'm 38 now. I'll be uh, 88 years old. I can do that. I want to be here when we celebrate our 100th anniversary. At that time, I think I'll deserve like a big lazy boy or something. I'm going to sit in there and I'm going to watch this whole another generation go. And I want to see a church that still parts the waters. I want to see young people that are sitting in this pew or sitting in this church right now. I want to see you standing in places of leadership and ministry. And I want to see you still parting the waters. Not, not getting content to build bridges and going around it. But I want you to be able to pick up that mantle and stand strong and say, if God could do it for Elijah, he can do it for me. If God could do it for Pastor Buford, God can do it for me. I'm determined to part the waters instead of building bridges. I want us to end this way. I want to invite you to come uh, uh, from your pew where you're sitting. And I want us just to begin together as a church around this altar. And I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray that God would give you the, the hunger and the desire to part waters instead of just build bridges. But I want you to pray for this church as well because I believe that God is positioning us for incredible things. I'm not saying that, that we've always keep looking for the future because I'm so thankful for what God has been doing over the past nine years. There's been miracles and miraculous things, but He's not done. He says, I still got more for you to do. And as they begin to sing, I want you and God to have a conversation in the name of Jesus. Your kingdom come.